Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and today I have the honor of speaking over the phone with the Most Reverend Bishop David J. Malloy of the Diocese of Rockford, Illinois, where we at Catholic Spirit Radio recently erected a brand new radio tower, making this episode accessible to now millions of potential listeners on the radio, and potentially billions online when they listen on our website, catholicspiritradio.org, or listen on any of the podcast platforms. Bishop is the ninth Bishop of Rockford and has been for just over a decade. Your Grace, or His Excellency, however you want to say it, Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, Paul, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to have you, and it's great to have you uh, on the air here in Rockford. Oh, that it is truly an honor of ours. We're so excited to just hit that over now 1 million potential listeners. Rockford's a place to be. I was just up there the other day. We had some wonderful businesses supporting our fundraiser, our fall appeal the other day. So we love Rockford, and we appreciate your time. And as the listeners just heard, I kind of stumbled over your title a little bit, and we were stalk, uh, we were talking just a little bit before we started recording here. What is the official title that I am to call you? Typically, we say Your Excellency when we're referring to or speaking to a bishop. Uh, tell me about the title. I've heard things about calling a bishop Your Grace, Your Excellency, um, the Most Reverend, the Right Reverend. Can you explain a little bit of these terms to me and the listeners? Well, uh, the the title of uh, your your excellency is sort of um, the formal title used in kind of American English, just as a cardinal would be your eminence. Um, but typically, um, in most of the interactions, um, orally and otherwise, and just with people, it's just uh, bishop. I mean, people just naturally say, uh, "Oh, bishop, uh, can we ask you something?" So uh, there's that formal title, but but uh, um, it's. Kind of bishop is kind of like father in terms of the the uh, the very uh, normal usage uh, in ordinary conversation. I see, I see. Okay, so if someone doesn't tell you in normal conversation, doesn't refer to you as your excellency, you're not gonna smack them over the head or anything like that. Uh, well, let's say that hasn't happened so far. No, I, I kind of doubt that would that would take place. No, <laughs> this is this is this is. It's funny, you know, even. Uh, um, uh, in say confirmation or in the grade school or something, and, and even the the young people uh, are just confident enough. They walk up and say, "Oh, Bishop, can we take a picture with you?" It's it's no more formal than that, and that's you know it's good at work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very interesting here at Catholic Spirit Radio. I've had the honor of talking with a lot of very intelligent and even high ranking people within the church, and something I've noticed is some think we need to return to uh, a more formal sense in our Catholic faith when referring to the clergy members, um, just how we go about things. I guess you could say they're more traditional. And some, you know, that are bishops and, and priests, prefer the more casual things. When, when it comes to just talking with the lay people, uh, they prefer the more casual, more personal way of doing things. What What is your stance on that? Do you, do you prefer people are not too formal or intimidated by you or— Woody, I'm not really forming the question well, but maybe you can still pick up what I'm saying here. Well, you know, um, as I was just indicating with even um, the young people in, in, you know, that sort of teenage group and late 
grade school um, with confirmations, which is, you know I do so often, but but in other moments um, um, with parish gatherings and things, that question really so often just resolves itself by the use of the people, and usually it's just people having the um, the freedom and the confidence to come up, and they usually just say, Bishop, could we do this? Could we ask you something uh, in Spanish, obispo, and and uh, you know, so. Uh, it, it really isn't, um, in practice, in my experience, um, that much of a difficulty, and, and uh, you know, I'm quite comfortable with it, as, uh, um, just like when uh, you're first ordained and people, everyone just comes up and calls you Father, even if they don't know who you are. They've got an advantage over me. They don't have to know my name. They just call me Father. <laughs> I have to try and remember their names. <laughs> That's right. And so, as we just said a little bit ago, we recently got a new tower in Rockford. We love Rockford. It's an amazing place. And you are the Bishop of the Diocese of Rockford. So, tell us a little bit, what is the Catholic culture like in the Diocese of Rockford? And what has the last decade been like for you up there? Well, um... You know, one of the things that that I do find, uh, having just come back from the bishops meeting last week, and you're meeting with and mingling with the bishops from all over, is um, within the unity of the church in the United States, there are certain, you might see, just um, geographical subcultures. I mean, that Midwestern spirit is um, it's really there in the Midwest, just like on the East Coast. There's kind of a an East Coast proud kind of thing, and uh, um, I think that's one of the things that that uh, among the people. I find uh, so refreshing here. Uh, I grew up in just north of here in um, Milwaukee, uh, but there's that that sort of Midwestern sense, and it's a it's a common sense. Uh, it's a sense that has a deep faith and uh, a comfort with it, and you you really I think um, feel that, um, and that comes to uh, that that really influences things like working together, say in your parish or in the diocese. Um, it's one of the things I've found in 11 years here in the Diocese of Rockford. Um, it is really a joy to be out with the people and to be working with the people. And, you know, we're in this moment where we keep talking about um, being a synodal church with, you know, a lot of consultation. Well, you know, we have such great um, interactions and, and consultative bodies. And, and um, for example, uh, uh, the pastoral council or the finance council or the the priest council and the councils that we have in the parishes. And again, that, that Midwestern spirit so often comes through as well as our faith of just being people who like being with each other and, and working together. And um, I, I think that really typifies, um, especially my experience of, of the, the faithful here in this diocese. Mm. Now, you mentioned the bishop meeting that happened recently. Tell me more about that. Who all came to this? What was discussed? And what were the results of that meeting? Well, we have two um, two meetings um, each year, uh, one in the early summer, so in June, and um, the second meeting in November, which is typically in Baltimore, where we met last week. And uh, all the bishops of... Um, the United States, all the Catholic bishops are um, invited and, in fact, are expected to be there. Um, I mean, the retired ones can make their choice, but those who are who are uh, not yet retired. And um, it's four days of um, meetings and discussions. Um, there's over 200 bishops there. I think it was about 250, as I recall, the, the vote totals that were taken whenever anything had to be voted on to be approved or anything like that. And um, you know, we would discuss uh, uh, among ourselves um, 
issues like uh, those related to liturgy, and, and right now uh, they're finishing up um, elements on the breviary that's, that's um, going to be renewed and retranslated and hopefully issued by 2026-2027, um, which the priests pray each day and lay people and, and religious as well. Um, and it's, it's a full um, set of readings that covers the whole year, so it's kind of it's a very extensive project. Um, we've for years dealt with various different translations. Some of us remember not too long ago when um, the Mass itself received a new translation, and we initiated all of that. Um, there's constant um, um, efforts to purify and update and, and uh, uh, make sure the liturgy is on track and, and a part of the liturgy of the Universal Church and that sort of thing. There's a lot to do with that. We also have uh, just reports on um, what the Church in the United States is doing for the poor, especially internationally. We have our Catholic Relief Services and the, the tremendous work that they do in so many places throughout the world, um, seeking to you know, feed the hungry and, and uh, help the sick. And when there's a disaster, there's an earthquake, there's, there's uh, a typhoon or a flood, they are there. Uh, efforts at assisting in peace in, um, in Africa. Um, all kinds of the work of the Church that... Um, um, go beyond just the, the diocesan effort. And then we have the chance just among ourselves as bishops to meet and to, uh, you know, share our experiences, kind of pick up some better ideas, and it's just helpful to be with other bishops uh, for a moment of encouragement. Absolutely. And it's interesting hearing about 250 of these bishops coming together. How long are you together? Is this a multi-day meeting? Yeah, it's about... Um, the, the the meeting in June is about two and a half days. This is uh, about three and a half days, the one. So it's a longer, more extensive meeting. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it's it's enough to, to really uh, um, get together for a number of things, and um, some subgroups work during the same time. So there's just a lot of organization going on there. Mm-hmm. And do you all occupy a nearby hotel and just make that, that land very Catholic for a couple of days? Do you get a lot of That's, looks and... That's about it. We 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 typically go to uh, a hotel in Baltimore, and um, we have um, several of the ballrooms are just taken over. One completely for the meetings. One is transformed into um, a chapel that is large enough to accommodate all the bishops for mass. Um, we also have um, another chapel for the Blessed Sacrament for a number of bishops when they have free moment to go. I've been in there a number of times and see, uh, it's just gratifying to see my brother bishops in there praying before the Blessed Sacrament and making a holy hour when they get uh, a moment in the midst of things. Um, so there's all kinds of, of those kinds of activities and, and spiritual exercises. We have uh, a morning of recollection where one of the bishops is designated to get up and speak to us and kind of remind us of the spirituality that we uh, are called to as bishops. It's all very helpful. Confessions made available, all that sort of thing. Right. Something, it's interesting. When you hear about anything Catholic in the media today, it t- seems to almost get over-politicized. It's almost like when I think of a bishop now, I'm tempted to think more of a businessman rather than uh, the, you know, these people that are in persona Christi that are supposed to be deeply spiritual and lead everyone to heaven. Uh, is it at all a burden to you as a bishop to be so business and paperwork oriented, so meeting oriented? Does part of you ever miss being a parish priest? 
Well, I won't say that, that that's not, you know, a factor and a pressure at times. I mean, um, I just came back from another confirmation yesterday afternoon, and, and uh, it was just very uplifting, and the young people were inspiring, and, and uh, you know, you wish, certainly wish there were many more of them, but uh, those that were there, um, they were just, um, with their parents, were just very gracious and involved in the whole thing, that spiritual um, element of what we do. But uh, at the same time, um, the church is a human society, and the human society requires organization, and the organization requires, you know, frankly, an element of administration. Even the uh, the uh, apostles had to get together in the Council of Jerusalem and start meeting and discussing and deciding, and uh, um, it's an element of the church's life that um, I guess those of us who are bishops feel that... that um, We've been called to, and we try to serve the Lord um, not only in the sacramental way, which is typically so inspiring, but um, even in the uh, administration, the paperwork, the meetings. Uh, those can be joyful. Those can be kind of a, a little more um, arduous, but it's all a part of the humanity of the Church, so it's got to be taken care of. Right, absolutely. In all ways, you're trying to serve God and trying to serve his people. And we're going to have to go on to a break here in just about four minutes or so. But I want to ask you at least the beginning of this question. And it is, you mentioned that you were recently at a confirmation and you wish you saw more people there, although they were very uplifting and and it was a joyful experience. How do we get more people to come back to the faith? I say come back because so many have left and they still have the opportunity to come back. But how do we get more people to the faith and maybe taking their faith more seriously? That's a large question for the next few minutes, but uh, maybe we can get started on it. Well, I'll get started, and you tell me when you need me to take a break. But, um, you know, I think um, there are several things that that um, we need to be reflecting on about the, the question of, of people who've fallen away or, or, or you know, why um, more people aren't coming to Mass. And I think a lot of it has to do with... Um, our culture. I think some of it has to do with um, a decades of uh, a catechesis that that was not clear enough, that was not strong enough, and I think you know we're really working to um, address that. But that sort of thing is it, it doesn't happen overnight. But I think there's also um, we're we have we're following on to several hundred years also of philosophical trends that have really influenced society, um, trying to pretend that as human beings we don't need God. You know, we, we come with the Enlightenment and the whole scientific uh, effort to sort of examine the world and, and to pretend that we can do that on our own and without God. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you see the uh, tremendous stress on science and on um, our individual in, uh, thinking, and, and then the idea that somehow we can create ourselves. There are all of these pressures. They go through the schools, they go through the media, they go, um, you know, all of our, our, our movies, our commentators. Um, all of this is a pressure that tries to lead away from what would undermine it, which is faith in God, which is coming to pray, which is to reflect on the fact that we have an eternal destiny. Um, I think that's the, the, the very deep struggle that we're going through right now. As many people know, we have the um, multi-year project of the Eucharistic revival going on this year, particularly centered on uh, parish renewal of Eucharistic faith. Um, 
what's at issue there, I think, is more than just simply restating the uh, the essence of the Catholic belief and the, the truth that in the Mass, through the priest, the bread becomes the body of Christ and the wine becomes the blood of Christ, sacramental as it is, the, the, um, the glorified body of Christ and blood of Christ, but it is truly the body and blood of Christ. Well, to simply say that to people is not going to be enough. We have to draw all of the conclusions of what that means for the world, what that means for uh, the understanding, the reality of sin and goodness and grace, and um, our, the struggle of each one of us that we're called to for eternal life. So I think there's just all kinds of elements to the question that, that you put there about why our mass attendance, um, our, our participation in the faith, um, has shown the weaknesses of, of recent decades, and I think there's a whole lot of reasons for it. Absolutely. Very well said and right on time. I have plenty more questions when we get back after this quick break. But thank you, everyone, for listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. This is Paul Garcia, and I'm speaking with the one and only Bishop Malloy of the Diocese of Rockford, Illinois. We will be right back. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and catholicspiritradio.com. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. St. Paul, in writing to the early Christians of Corinth, encouraged them to be fools for Christ's sake. Foolishness in the eyes of the world consists of such things as giving one's time, talent, or treasure to a worthy cause. Attending Mass, going to confession, joining the religious life, or even running a Catholic radio station. By being fools in the eyes of the world, we are wise in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we all were fools for Christ. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and I'm speaking with the one and only, the Bishop of the Diocese of Rockford, Illinois, Bishop Malloy. Bishop, thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And we just left off at the break talking a little bit about how to bring people back to the faith and the issues that are kind of keeping them from the faith. Something that we talked about earlier in this conversation was the meeting with the bishops. 250 bishops gathered twice a year uh, in um, somewhere in Baltimore, Maryland. And we. I, I wanted to ask about this, and you just tell me what you think about it. Something. This is probably some of the biggest news in the secular world regarding Catholicism, and of course in the Catholic world as well, and it is, of course, another bishop, Bishop Strickland of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. Now, he was recently released, if I understand correctly, if I'm using the right terms, and he was not within the meetings taking place in Baltimore. Uh, can you tell us, 
and you just be completely honest with me here, uh, can you tell us anything that the church's stance on this type of thing, are, are bishops allowed to speak in the way that uh, Bishop Strickland did, or just any of your thoughts regarding the um, the controversial issue of Bishop Strickland? Well, um, first of all, I don't have any inside information on it. Um, uh, I'm not a part of it. Uh, I'm in Illinois, and, and uh, he's in um, uh, Texas. So, uh, I mean, like everyone else, I've, I've read the newspapers and, and some of the reports. Um, but when the uh, Holy Father removed uh, Bishop Strickland uh, a week or so ago, uh, there was no explanation or no um, statement given, uh, which is not atypical in those kinds of moments, uh, for better or worse. So I'm just saying that I don't have any any particular inside information. But the bottom line is um, that, that um, one of the things we need to be working for, well, there's really two. One is for the truth, and the second is for the unity in the truth. And um, I think that's one of the things that, that has become um, a little bit at issue surrounding um, the bishop, and I think it's one of the things that um, is is really an essential question for the church at all times, but particularly now when there are so many uh, moments of um, division and confusion in in throughout our society and at times within the church itself. Uh, we all need to be working for um, the adherence to the faith the Catholic faith, but we need also to be strengthening our brothers and sisters in the unity of the faith. And that unity of the faith, uh, as Christ has told us, is around uh, the rock upon which he has built the Church. And so um, it requires us to um, listen attentively there and um, place that within the context of uh, the Church's tradition and the teaching of um, of others who have borne that same office. And I think um, that it's within that context, without knowing any more, that we have to look at the, the question of um, uh, what's happened there, uh, to recognize that there are a lot of issues um, that, that could be underlying this that, that have not been made public. I'm not privy to them. But in the end, through all of this, we're seeking both the unity of faith that Christ prayed, that we keep that unity, um, and the truth itself that will set us free. And so for listeners who don't know, and again, I, I say this, I ask these questions with full respect, and you can tell me, hey, I, I shouldn't answer that, I wouldn't answer that, um, but can you explain to listeners, I guess there's not been a formal statement as to why he's been released, but uh, what is the general consensus as to why Bishop Strickland was released. Are you, yeah, is that the wrong question? Well, that's why I said um, I, I, I'm just not privy to the information. Um, and um, I, I've been in many situations um, in the church where perhaps um, I did know something about a situation and, and saw how it, it came out publicly. Sometimes things are not said to uh, protect um, other people who you know, might be damaged or something along those lines. Um, there are many possible different reasons. Uh, I simply do not have um, the information, anything that I would be saying is speculative. And uh, I, for that reason, I, I really just am not in a position to answer that question. Um, Bishop Strickland has uh, perhaps been informed. Um, I don't think he's um, commented that 
directly, and uh, the fact that the other side, uh, the Holy See, um, has not made a, a reason. I, I would not want to be the one to get to be a third party speculating about it. That's right. Absolutely. I completely understand that. And um, uh, it's related to this topic, but it, at the same time, it's not. What is, and of course, I'm assuming that you, all bishops go through this type of education at some point or another. Um, what is the church's stance on bishops and priests? Uh, how do I say this? What they're allowed to say in terms of criticism of the vicar of Christ or the Pope and of higher up authorities within the church. Are we, are, are priests and the clergy members, are they told like it's not, I mean, we're trying to unify, as you said, the unity and the truth. Are we not supposed to necessarily criticize in a public fashion, say on a radio station or anything like that? Or are priests and bishops not to um, necessarily criticize, or they urge not to, but rather to take it up um, at this this annual bishops meeting or something like that? What's the stance on public criticism of members of our church? Well, um, I can say <laughs> when you're a bishop, um, you deal with public questioning and sometimes criticism on a, on a very regular basis. I think that that happens to all of us. Uh, I, I think the, uh, the office of the papacy raised, you know, to yet another level uh, in a more extensive international level, uh, it is certainly one thing to be um, questioning the uh, the human judgments that are made, the uh, the prudence of human decisions, which are intermingled with the the functioning of priests and bishops and and the the working of the church. Um, I think one of the things that has harmed the church in recent decades is that the church has not been forthcoming enough in order to avoid criticism um, that might have actually been helpful before, you know, things got troublesome mm-hmm. with uh, different issues, be they the, the scandals of 2000, be they financial, be they any number of other things. Um, but what happens is um, when we begin to uh, undermine the unity that surrounds the faith itself and questions of um, uh, the, the the teaching authority and so on, um, we, we we get in a different position that that has to take into account not simply the the discussion, but the manner of confusion that that can result. And, and there have to be ways to do that that are mature and appropriate. And the church has found them for for centuries and for two millennia. So there there are ways. I mean, if you read the history of the church, my goodness, the disagreements, the uh, um, uh, the uh, challenges to uh, especially the human elements of authority um, are, are constant and widespread, um, and that's a reflection of the life of the Church and the um, the interaction, the intermingling of the vocations of laity and clergy, and each respecting the other and each carrying out their own particular calling in the Lord, so um, that that can result in... in um, at times, um, questioning or um, even criticism, it does happen. But um, is it something that is now gone to undermining the established faith or or the teaching authority of the church? Those are those are uh, separate and deeper questions. Mm-hmm. Right, and sadly, probably questions that we just need a lot more time to discuss if we wanted to have anything meaningful really coming from them. And um, Bishop, I. I we have just a few minutes left here. I want to give you a, 
a big question, and I really, really, I can't tell you how much I really appreciate your willingness to discuss these things, and you speak so eloquently. And, you know, sometimes we've had plenty of people come on here. Some are brave, and those happen to be great episodes when they talk about these controversial things. You spoke about Bishop Strickland a little bit, and uh, granted, you said, yeah, we're not, you're not in a position to speak about it. It's when people, you know, say, I'm not, no comment, that that's when it gets a little, you know, a little sketchy, for lack of a better term. But I wanted to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, what well, what is the Catholic stance, and plenty of priests talk about this, I've gone to plenty of Masses where it's discussed openly, but uh, the conflict going on in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine, where do Catholics stand on an issue like this? And if I understand correctly, uh, Rockford is a rather diverse place, so I'm sure you've seen uh, people that support both sides, but what is the Catholic stance on this issue? I think the Catholic stance is um, to try and understand the causes of violence and and hatred and to work for and to call for and especially to pray for peace. When we have something as complicated as um, the Middle East and um, the situation that exploded on October 7th, but certainly has long predated that, the tensions between uh, the state of Israel and the Israeli government and the Palestinians, which includes um, that small remnant of the the uh, early Christian population that is still there. Um, you have also outside factors that are involved, uh, the, um, um, the financing and, and guidance from um, other um, states um, that, that are contrary to Israel helping to uh, foster that, uh, the tensions internally with Israel and the settlements and, and the questions of um, land and uh, going back to um, the very tensions that began in 1947 when Israel was was um, established by the vote of the United Nations following um, the, the, the Holocaust and the whole uh, trial of the, of the Jewish people during the Second World War. So you have this very complex set of issues. The Holy Father himself has said that the terrorism October 7th is to be condemned and that, that Israel has a right to defend itself, which um, certainly means trying to um, respond so that such an uh, attack cannot happen again. But that doesn't mean that, that um, the morality ceases in terms of um, any kind of targeting of civilians and um, the, the the death toll that, that could happen there. Um, at the same time, you get the further complication that the uh, reports are that the uh, Hamas has um, put their whole infrastructure in the midst of the civilian population, effectively creating a whole state of, mm-hmm. of um, human shields. You know, it's a very complex situation, and I think continuing to follow um, uh, the, 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 the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has put out several statements on it. The Holy Father talks about this almost every Wednesday at his, Angela, at his uh, Wednesday audience and Sunday at the Angelus, um, and he's given you know, some, some very concrete um, and continuing balanced reflections on on that um, it's in some ways it's the same kind of tragedy that we're seeing in the U- in Ukraine and the, and the Russian invasion and the back and forth and the fog of war and the difficulty of understanding the whole history that has led up to this moment and the fact that in some cases it's evil um, 
it's it's the devil himself that that wishes to put us against each other and i think um in a world that doesn't wish to acknowledge god they miss that part of of the difficulty as well so um what's the catholic point of view to keep praying to to seek true peace peace that gets to the root causes of all of these elements and that is not an easy uh task absolutely there is no easy answer in this situation that's for sure and it's funny you said uh it's evil to pit us against each other I've spoken to an exorcist on the show before, and something that he said that really stuck with me was that the root word, the etymology of the word devil kind of comes from diabolos in Greek, which means to scatter and to, you know, create chaos, pit people against each other. Whereas the opposite of that, which could rightly be assumed to be more godly, is to unify everyone. So, yeah, to scatter everyone, to get and you see that in the United States in our society, big time. And so you got to know that there's evil, there's the evil one that is lurking in the details of all this. And yeah, I agree. Let's pray for peace, absolutely. Unity and truth, just like you were saying, is the bottom line that we should work for as the Catholic body. So, Bishop, I really, truly appreciate your time and your willingness to answer the difficult questions. And I want to end with this question, and it is a simple one, much less heavy. How do we, as Catholic Spirit Radio, you know, we're, we're growing because we have meaningful conversations like the one that you and I just had, and when we have great guests like you on, how do we grow in the Rockford area? What are some of the, the key businesses maybe we could reach out to? What does the, the faithful community in that area, what do they want to hear more of? How can you help us uh, expand in Rockford? Well, I think the, the, the primary attraction is going to be... Um, the attraction not only to the truth, but that sense of normalcy of the truth, that sense of beauty of the truth, that sense of uplifting um, elements of the truth. I mean, so often it's as if uh, the truth is is something that we 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 repeat, but we we kind of kind of cower behind it instead of broadly and and proudly presenting it. Uh, I think um, over time the um, the possibilities of um, discussing things that are to the heart of what people are uh, worried about or, or feeling about or need to hear about and discussing it with confidence and with um, fidelity to the Church's teaching. Um, I think the message and your service, um, you know, will invariably uh, spread. You're only getting started here. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for those kind words and for those guiding words. And yes, we just talked to a, another man from up north, Father Loya, the other day, and his best advice uh, for us and for Catholics in general in the world is to discuss the truth boldly, with confidence. You know, nothing good really ever happens from people being scared to talk about it. And, and we're, with joy. That's right, that's right. And we were founded by Mother Angelica, and one of my favorite quotes from her is simply, don't be a wimp. So... With that said, Bishop Malloy, thank you so much for coming on today. That's all the time we have, and we greatly appreciate your willingness to discuss the tough topics, and it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for joining Thank you so me. much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, the pleasure is all ours. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for doing so, and remember to support Catholic Spirit Radio. We're rooted right here in Normal, Illinois, and we are now in Rockford, Illinois. So if you're in Rockford listening to this episode, keep on tuning in. We're so glad to have you. God is good, and let's pray for peace in the world and everything else. But keep God first, and thank you for listening to Catholic Spirit Radio.
You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com.